Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast. I am your host, Angie Machado, and I am joined, as always, with our beat writer at Beaver Blitz, Carter Baines. Carter, we are, are we two weeks in now to fall camp? And we have not missed, between you and I, and mostly you, we have not missed a fall camp practice or scrimmage. Pretty are impressive. That's a, yeah, yeah, I was just <laughs> saying, this is, uh, this is my first true off day in probably 17 or so days, really, since, since fall, camp, fall camp started. And um, it, it was nice to actually like sleep in for once and kind of, you know, have a little bit of a lazy day, but a uh, perfect day to record a podcast. I got nothing else going on today. I'm getting ready to ramp up for the final week of camp. So let's, uh, let's hammer this one out. Seriously. And, and it's, it is a super day to do a podcast because there was a scrimmage yesterday, the second scrimmage. So I took in the first scrimmage and the defense ruled the day. You took in yesterday's scrimmage, Saturday's scrimmage, and it was open to fans. Um, you had the whole thread going um, in the Lodge at Beaver Blitz with a play-by-play and then a huge breakdown and all the information, again, in the Lodge. So if you're not a member, definitely join us because it's the place where we can give you all the inside info, all the, you know, the scoop of what's going on. Carter has seriously the best write-ups that you'll find, the most in-depth, uh, the most knowledge. So there's my little plug for the day, Carter. Um, but it was a it was a fun day yesterday. Uh, tell me first off, since since I witnessed the defense win the day, who won the day in your mind yesterday at the Beaver second scrimmage? It's actually kind of hard to pinpoint a winner. Um, I know the offense did win the red zone lockdown drill or lockout drill. I think they call it at the end of the scrimmage yesterday. But um, overall, it was really just there was a lot of really good back and forth. I thought on both sides of the ball. Um, I, I thought all three quarterbacks minus Tristan Jebbia, who sat out, um, took some reps with the first team. And I thought they all did a pretty good job of moving the ball. Um, but the, the defense, as we saw kind of in, in last year's regular season, had a little bit of a bend, but, but not break type of approach to things. And, um, you know, they'd let the offense make a few plays, but they, uh, they held strong when it counted the most and really only gave up, I think, two, maybe three touchdowns in the, in the live drills, which was, um, like I said, I mean, it's, it's good to see from the defense because obviously at this point in camp, you would still expect the defense to be a slight step ahead. Um, but I think th- the plays that were made on both sides of the ball were a good sign um, of the team's progress to this point. Okay, we're going to rewind here a little bit because you made a comment and not everybody that listens to the damn podcast is a member at Blitz. They should be by now if you're listening to this. But you said something. Tristan Jebbia did not take any reps. What's the latest on, on Jebbia? Yeah, that's right. So we talked to Coach Smith afterwards. Um, he said that Tristan's been dealing with a little bit of soreness the last few days. Um, didn't specify what kind of soreness we're talking about here. Could it be a, you know, a recovery from the hamstring surgery? Could it just be general soreness? We don't really know. Um, but the coaches decided, you know, let's just give him a day off here. We'll see if we can kind of get him back to full speed with a little bit of rest. Um, obviously, the team has a scheduled off day today, which is Sunday. Um, So that gives him the entire weekend to kind of recover a little bit. And um, hopefully we see him back out there on Monday because 
the the quarterback situation. I mean, really every position group, but especially the quarterback situation. I think they're they would like to kind of lock things up a little bit this week in terms of um, you know a starting lineup and, and putting together a two deep. So uh, it would be ideal for Tristan if he could get up get back out there early this week. Yeah, yeah. So this uh, for those that are, are newer to to fall camp, typically you know we are in the final week of fall camp, and this is the the last kind of true time of of really working on installs and um, giving the younger guys kind of a chance to, to make their, their push. And then next, the following week, we, we go into game prep mode. So that's typically when the media is shut out of practice and uh, the team starts working on Purdue. So, um, and getting ready for that. So huge week. If those guys, some of those guys that might be on the bubble of making the 2D, this is a big, big opportunity for them. Um, before we jump into more of the, the scrimmage as far as offense and defense, there's an area that I know fans have asked me about kind of one-off and I keep forgetting, but let's talk special teams. Typically special teams is something we leave to the end, but let's talk a little bit about what you've seen. I know Everett Hayes um, has a huge leg. So maybe you can talk about it. Did I hear that he was like kicking 60 yarders? That is correct. Uh, wow. A couple days ago at practice, I can't remember the exact day. I want to say maybe Wednesday. Um, he hit a 55 yarder and a 60 yarder. He took two live reps in the, you know, in the, the team 11 on 11 drills and he hit two kicks of 55 plus. And then he had another one in the scrimmage. If I can find it in my notes here really quickly of 54. So that's three 50 plus yard field goals in the span of about three or four days. Um, and he's, he's been lights out throughout camp and, um, that's something that I've seen from him throughout his career in practice is he is dialed in long range. Um, I know that his leg strength is, is easily the best that Oregon state has had in a long time. Um, he actually said that he's comfortable from 65 and in, which is, um, that's, that's a ways out. <laughs> so <laughs> we, uh, we, we actually did get a get a chance to talk to Everett after practice on Thursday. And, um, I put together a feature that you can read on Beaver Blitz, but uh, really interesting just to get the, the perspective of a kicker because that's not necessarily something that we hear a lot about. Um, and I, I don't think I've ever interviewed a kicker until this week. And um, just being able to ask him, you know, like what kind of element the mental game plays in, in kicking and what his comfortability range is and what the coach's comfortability range is. Um, really interesting just to get his perspective. But it sounds like Coach Smith is, is comfortable throwing him out there for a 50 yarder if, if need be. And um, he's actually, he's been pretty consistent on those 40 plus yard kicks that he's taken in games to this point. When was the last time? I mean, this is, I think this will be a huge advantage for Oregon State. Um, even if, you know, depending on what the offense does early, you know, there's been some talk without Jamar Jefferson, you lose, you know, a little bit, but um, to have a kicker that has a leg and is, is as accurate as he has been your uh, spring and fall. It's important because what that means is if, if you're looking at a fourth and 12 from the 30 yard line um, in years past, coach Smith has been forced to put the offense back out there. And you know how difficult it is to, to pick up 12 yards on a, on a fourth down when the opponent knows that you're going to throw the ball. Um, it just puts, it puts your back up against the wall. But if you've got a guy that you can rely on from 40, 50, even 60 yards, um, that's not necessarily a guaranteed three points, but it's certainly better than taking your chances with the offense getting yeah. 10 plus yards. I so. mean, even at, at 60 yards, 
I mean, that's better. Honestly, I mean, that's a 50-50 shot, I think, for him. So mm-hmm. sometimes, it's, it's, yeah, take those three. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave uh, special teams. But if you haven't read Carter's interview and, and his feature story on Everett, do. Because he's right. We don't, um, we really don't see the specialists that often. I mean, they kind of work out and then they go do their thing. And um, it's something that we don't see. I think the last specialist that I really got to know was... Um, Hecker, Johnny Hecker. And that was really because I formed a relationship with him and his family when he was in high school. So I got to know him and his family and we just kind of carried it, carried it on, but um, good. It was a good, good thing. And we also had a really good interview with Sam Neuer earlier in the week. Um, Talk about his performance. So he was taking reps with the first team. I know some of our fans, some of the Beaver Blitz members who were at the scrimmage have reached out and posted in the lodge that they felt Sam Neuer looked really good and looks like he could be the starter. What are your thoughts on, on Neuer and, and maybe some of those other quarterbacks? I think it might be trending that direction for Neuer, to be completely honest. I think his his performance in this week's scrimmage, especially with Tristan on the sideline, uh, I, I think that he only helped his case for sure to, to lock up that starting job. Um, he, he did take the majority of the reps with the first team. I know I mentioned that all three quarterbacks that were available did did get some reps, but it was mostly Neuer out there. And I thought he led the offense with a lot of confidence. I thought his his accuracy answered a lot of the questions that we had about it coming into camp. Because um, if if you've seen his stats from Colorado, that was kind of the one glaring weakness: was his completion percentage, touchdown to interception ratio. Um, you'd like to see a little bit of improvement in that in that realm. Um, upon arrival at Oregon State, and I think he's kind of done that in in, in fall camp and um, leading the offense to a couple of touchdown drives and being able to put points on the board. Uh, really, wherever wherever the ball starts on the field, you know, and in, whether it's red zone work or if they're going sixty five yards and uh, eleven on eleven, he's been able to move the ball with with relative ease. Um, and I think it's a testament to his ability to transition to Oregon State, fit in with this offense, make connections with his receivers, and then obviously have that connection with Brian Lindgren, who recruited him to Colorado. So um, I'm not ready to say that he is the starting quarterback. In fact, I'm not really sure I'm ready to say that he's the favorite at this point, but um, he's only helped his cause really over the last couple of weeks. What, in your opinion, is his strength when he's leading the offense? It seems like maybe confidence. I think I think he just has a little bit of, I, I guess you could say, moxie to him. You know, he he steps out on the field and it looks like he's convinced that he's going to lead the offense to a touchdown, um, and, and that's important because, as I mentioned with in, in the interview I had with with Everett Hayes, you know, the mental game is such a big component of football, um, and having that successful season behind him at Colorado finally getting a, a chance to lead the offense as a starting quarterback. I think that did wonders for him. Um, his mentality coming into Oregon state was that, you know, he wanted to go to a place that could set him up to play at the next level. And obviously you're only going to do that if you're the starting quarterback. And so um, I, I think the confidence of coming into Oregon state with the mentality that he's going to start and that he's going to do big things um, is really going to help him in that transition. Talking about the offense, and, and I mentioned this a little bit ago, but you know there has been talk at running back losing Jamar Jefferson. Yes, the Beavs have B.J. Baylor, Isaiah Newell, um, Deshaun Fenwick. There's there's a room full of running backs, but pretty untested. How, what did you see from them? 
on Saturday and, and maybe earlier in the week? I've seen a committee approach and that was something that we kind of hinted towards in spring ball that we might see for the first time in a while at Oregon State. Um, Cause it seems like, you know, with obviously all of the talent that the Beavers have had at that position over the last, well, I mean, as long as I can remember, um, it's, it really has just been a featured back and then you bring a guy in every now and then when, when your main guy needs a breather, but going into this year, still at, at this point in camp, nobody has, has really, I guess, stepped away from the competition. Uh, nobody's running away with the job and there is a, a potential for a three, four, maybe even five man rotation at that position, which is, I mean, that's a lot, but it's something that you do see a little bit more of at the college football level now. And especially at at the next level in the NFL, I think running backs have, have become a position where you want to get as many guys involved as possible. And, and Oregon state has a lot of talent at that position. And um, coach Smith even mentioned it after the scrimmage, you know, things are trending towards a committee approach. Anybody stand out? I mean, because they all have different styles. And do you think coach Stewart will go with like the hot hand? And if he has a guy that really, or do you think, even if they're hot, he's going to pull guys out and keep the rotation going. I really don't know how they're going to rotate guys, but I, I do know that with the running styles that everybody in that room has, you have the ability to design certain plays for certain runners and uh, put guys out there on specific downs, depending on the situation. Because you look at a, at a Deshaun Fenwick, I mean, he's the best blocker in the room. So having him in there on, on passing downs, third and long, makes a lot of sense. Um, it also makes a lot of sense to have him in there on short yardage situations where you need kind of a bruiser to, to push through the line of scrimmage because there's one play in particular from Fenwick that stands out to me uh, throughout camp, which is when he uh, in it was 11 on 11, just, you know, position group types type of work. But he um, he kind of he plowed through Jack Coletto on a short yardage run. And I was like, wow, I mean, Jack Coletto is one of the stronger guys on this team. And. Deshaun Fenwick's carrying him on his back as he's running for a first down. So um, that's, that's kind of the style that you get with Fenwick there. And then obviously your speed guys and Trey Lowe and BJ Baylor, um, Baylor a little bit more proven to this point in his career, but Trey Lowe has had one of the better camps of, of anybody on this roster. And I think he's very quickly starting to carve a little role for himself. Yeah. If, if he can stay healthy, I, I like what he brings. And, and I like what I've seen from Trey Lowe as far as, um, receiving out of the backfield. I think he adds that element. And what I saw in the first scrimmage, they had Isaiah Newell doing some of that, flexing out um, into the passing game as well. Um, passing game, any concerns with that? I mean, I, I sit here and look between, between, the, between the wide receiver room, the tight end room, and then the, those wide or the running backs that can catch the ball. It's kind of exciting, I think, if you're Brian Lindgren. I have no questions about the passing game. I think this is the strong point of this year's Oregon State football team, save for maybe just the general play of the offensive line. Um, I, I think the passing game has the potential to be one of the better passing attacks in the Pac-12. Just looking at the, the talent wide receiver, the depth at that position, and then you mentioned it, the tight ends. I mean, Oregon State's got two of the best receiving tight ends in the, in the conference, in Tegan Quatoriano and Luke Musgrave. And then even the young guys in that room have gotten a lot of run recently with um, with those two guys at the top of the depth chart being a little limited um, as they, you know, as they take a cautious approach to, to getting those guys game ready. But um, yeah, I think the weapons in the passing game at, at really every position involved 
huge strength for this team. They're going to score a lot of points. How I, I know Beaver fans have asked about, you know, Treshawn Harrison. We kind of saw him kind of emerge toward the end of last year. I mean, there's Zariah Beeson, but talk a little bit about John Dunmore. Have you seen much from him? Um, I was down there week one and he was running more with the new guys. Has he picked up the offense any better? And, and what have you seen from Dunmore? Yeah, he's kind of on the verge of being a second teamer when they go live. Um, he's kind of on that second team, third team threshold. Um, but I have seen him get a lot of reps and, you know, he, he does make plays when he's out there. I think he's got um, a, an interesting combination of, of speed and size that um, is, he's very similar to like a, a Jimmy Velson who we've seen, you know, another young guy come in and, and make plays with those younger, with those younger units. I think they're kind of one in the same in many ways. And I'm excited to see what they bring to the offense, maybe not necessarily right away this year, but um, down the line, if, you know, if there's an injury or two at some point in the season, I think those guys are going to get some run during the regular season. And um, I, I also do think that they're a big part of the future of this offense. Yeah. Speaking of Valson, uh, Jimmy's younger brother just picked up his first offer from Oregon state. So um, he's class of 2023. So uh, going to be junior in high school, which is wild because it's the same year as my son's graduating. So I'm getting old, Carter, really old, but um do you see Valson? Has he been running with the twos at all? Yeah, pretty much the same thing with okay. uh, with Valson as with Dunmore. Um, you know, most mostly third team getting a lot of work with Sam with Sam Bidlack um, with the, with the third teamers, and they've built a pretty strong connection. Uh, you know, Valson makes makes a lot of plays, and that, like like I said, with the the speed and size combination, I think he has a lot of. Um, he, he has a lot of potential to be a guy who can make plays at, at various points on the field. Um, but yeah, I, like I said, I, I, I really like the potential that he's flashed. Awesome. Okay. And then we're not talking a lot about them um, because I, they're so solid. They're so set the offensive line, but just give us a quick update on health. Have they all been playing the five starters? All of so the far? projected five starters right now are healthy. Nathan Eldridge okay. missed a couple of practices, but that was just more of a, like a load management yeah. thing, you know, they don't want, there, there are some guys that they, they will hold out every now and then just, even though they're perfectly healthy, they just don't want to kind of, they don't want to pile on too much. Um, you know, those guys with injury histories, Trevon, Trevon Bradford is another guy that comes to mind. Avery, I mean, all the, the guys that they know, I think they kind of, they don't yeah. want to, uh, you know, risk that injury. Up the, so, so let's switch gears now and talk a little defense. Like I said, I was, you want the defense to be ahead of the offense in fall camp. They stymied the offense in the first scrimmage. It sounds like it was a little more evenly matched. I'm sure Oregon State went more to the air uh, in the second scrimmage than they did in the first one. Um, it's still concerns, though, at the defensive line? That is probably the only concern that I have, really, about the, the defense only. at this point. Did you, wait, and so no concerns anywhere else? Not Secondary? on the defense at the moment. Secondary, I think, has just made so many strides, and there are so many guys that are stepping up. Um, I, I will say that the new injury to Elijah Jones is concerning, but less so now that we've seen Jaden Robinson step up and make a ton of plays over the last week or so in camp. Um, but, but going back to the defensive line, just the loss of Isaac Hodgins for about half of the season, the loss of Keontae Shad, which we know now, we now know that – He's probably going to miss the season opener 
maybe the second week or third week too. There's there's no official timeline there, but it sounds like they're they're not optimistic that he's going to be good to go when the season rolls around. So those are your two anticipated biggest playmakers on the D-line. And obviously that was the position of concern going into camp. You now have true freshmen and walk-ons on the two deep. And that's not typically a recipe for success at, at one of the most important positions on the roster. Um, you know, Oregon back State to does have, you know how yes, I harp on recruiting. But. Oregon State does have some some walk-ons with experience. Alex Skelton, Cody Anderson have gotten some playing time in their careers, and you know they they continue to be mainstays in the lineup in in camp. And so you can expect to see them out there. But um, Sione Lolahea, true freshman, is is a name that comes to mind. He's actually he's actually got some gotten some run with the first team. So you could see some younger guys like that um, make an impact. Tavis Ship and James Rawls, those JUCO guys that came in two years ago. Um, I think they're fully ready to go, and at least one of them will probably be in the starting lineup. Jeremy Reichner, healthy? Yep, yep. He's he's on the two deep as as things stand right now, and okay. um, you know, looking for a for a kind of a breakthrough final season. Talk about pass rush. That was something else too that I thought last season um, the Beavs really struggled with. What have you seen? I, I've seen Samisi Saluni's name a lot, especially with John McCartan kind of being out. Um, who is standing out? I saw Corey Stover actually um, running with the twos. Um, anybody standing out as far as the pass rusher? Well, you mentioned McCartan being out and actually Coach Smith said after the scrimmage, that's going to be a longer term thing now. Um, sounds like a kind of a lingering hamstring injury that um, he's he's not close to returning. That was, that was, those are the words of Coach Smith on that. And we one, know so. how much Coach Smith loves talking about injuries. Yeah. <laughs> hesitant, <laughs> hesitant to give too much of an update, but if something is long-term, he will make note of it. And that's kind of what it sounds like with McCartan. So that's, that's a big blow to the pass rush because it he is. is one of the more um, proven guys at the outside linebacker position this year. Obviously Addison Gums is still working to get healthy. Um, he looks good when he's out there. It's just a matter of, can he stay on the field? Riley Sharp has gotten a lot of run, and I think he's a, a candidate to start alongside Andre Hughes-Murray if Gums can't go. Um, but the D-line, really, as, as for as much as it's struggled, I think that it has progressed in pass rush. I've, I've seen a lot of, I, I think I've seen a lot of um, you know, quarterback hurries, maybe not necessarily sacks, but those those guys on the edges are getting a lot of pressure on the quarterback and forcing bad throws and forcing um, throwaways out of bounds. That's something that we didn't see from the D line last year or the year before, really, any time under Coach Smith. It's been mostly the outside linebackers that have gotten the pressure. So, with the loss of Hamaker Rashid, you're looking for people to step up. And if the D line can help out in that in that category at all, that's huge. And then, and then you are talking about the secondary being as strong as you've seen it um, under Coach Smith. Who I, I, Jaden Grant's back, correct? Yes. So he, he missed the first couple of weeks, but or first week and a half, but he is back. Um, and uh, let's make a note on that too, actually. He's he's playing safety now. He's okay. he's kind of shifted away from his nickelback spot. Winston Russell has been taking a ton of first team reps. Which he impressed me in that first in that first scrimmage. And he had a he had a big day at the scrimmage on Saturday as well. And uh, Ron Harge has also gotten some run at nickelback with the first team. So Kind of an interesting note there, um, you know, Alton Julian 
has, has missed some time. He's been limited in practice. So I think that's partially why Jaden Grant is taking some reps at safety, but it'll be interesting to see once the season rolls around, if they, uh, if the coaches try to utilize him more uh, farther deep in the secondary, rather than lining him up on a receiver. I actually like that because Jaden's not afraid to hit. Jaden mm-hmm. will, will light some people up. So that's, I, I like that. Um, who's been the biggest surprise on the Beavers defense? Probably Jaden Robinson, who's just been arguably the breakout player of camp. Uh, seems like pretty much every every day in some sort of live drill, whether it's, you know, I, I mentioned they do all kinds of different live drills, but um, it, it seems like almost every day he's making an, a really strong, impressive pass breakup or an interception. Uh, he has a couple of diving interceptions. Um, he's, well, he's la- last up. week he had the 100-yard pick six yes, in the scrimmage. Yes, he did, he, did, he did have that. And speaking of 100-yard pick sixes, Rajon Wright goes 95 yards on a tipped pass on Saturday. Um, and, you know, we, we talked to him after the scrimmage and he had said that he had quote plenty of pick sixes in his career. He wanted to, he wanted to ensure <laughs> us that that was not the first that he has had. Uh, he had a couple in high school, had a few in practice at, at, uh, Laney, at Laney college. And, um, yeah, I, I think if if he could make a if we could get a defensive touchdown out of Rajon Wright this year, that's going to help the defense a ton. And what does he like? He, so I have never like really sat down and talked with him. I, he's mm-hmm. not lacking in confidence. Is that is that my guess? That's that's absolutely right. And you'll see that <laughs> on the practice field every day. He's he's the first guy to maybe talk some smack to an opposing receiver or, or go after coach Hinson and, you know, stir the pot a little bit. But um, when it, when it comes to talking to the media, you know, he, he is a little quieter, uh, but he's not afraid to joke around a little bit. And we saw some of his personality kind of shine a little bit yesterday after we, we talked to him actually at the end of, I want to say the first week of camp and, you know, he was pretty quiet and reserved. And um, I, I think he's gotten more comfortable speaking to the media and we, we saw him joke around a little bit. Uh, after the scrimmage on Saturday obviously you know making a big play like that certainly yeah. helps but I guess the, the first thing that he did after the scrimmage was he called his brother Nishan and, and let him know about the uh, about the play well good I, I just like his brother I mean his brother took about a year to really but it does it feels like and with with Jaden Robinson going back to him it really feels like some of these guys it's all just clicking and maybe that's because now they are um, several years under coach blue um but it really does feel, I mean, watching Jane Robinson, it's like his light bulb just clicked and it's like, it all makes sense to him now. Um, the whole, that whole secondary, I think is talk about two. I don't know what they were like on Saturday because I was not at the scrimmage on Saturday, but first scrimmage, the defense was fired up. I mean, loud, they were on the same side as, as we were sitting on, but um, did they carry that same energy into, on, into Saturday scrimmage? I'd say so. Yeah. And you know, you, you get a big play out of Rajon Wright like that. And it's obviously going to fire the team up, but actually both sides of the ball, I think there is just so much more energy on this year's team than I've seen in the past um, fall camp. You know, there's, there's no fans you're playing in front of you're scrimmaging against your own team. So you have to create that, that energy for yourself. And there are some, some kind of veteran guys on this team that are just full of energy. Um, Tyjon Lindsay, is a name that comes to mind. He's dancing at he practice He dances every day. more than I do on the sideline. <laughs> and, and that's saying a lot, especially <laughs> on some days at practice when, when they have the right playlist. When the right uh, playlist comes on, it's really hard for me to sit I, still. 
I would love to see a dance off between Angie Machado and Tai Jong Lindsay. Yeah, that no, would be, no, we don't want to see that. would be elite level entertainment right there it, on the practice field. It would be entertainment to see Angie look like a fool is what it would look like. <laughs> but it's okay. It's, but it, I keep Carter laughing. I used to keep Amy and Marcus laughing. I, I usually just dance. I'm one of those dance in my seat. Although if I'm standing up, I do sometimes find myself and then I have to stop myself because I'm like, oh, whoa, dancing. <laughs> Uh, but but going back to the the energy on the on the sidelines, you know, Taijan is is a guy that stands out. Ch Champ Flemings, I, I think from time to time we see a, a ton of energy out of him. Um, and then obviously Rajon, I, I keep kind of coming back to to his name. But those are just some of the guys who um, are are vocal leaders, and they do their best to not only encourage other players, but um, you know, stir the pot a little bit, which I think is necessary. Uh, in fall camp, you need a little bit of a, a of a competitive edge when you're just yeah hitting hitting the same guys day after day. But yeah, I, I think that is it's 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 a testament to the culture that Coach Smith has built. Um, he's he's brought in guys that are able to build chemistry with each other, and um, having some continuity on the coaching staff, I think, also certainly helps. Especially as we mentioned in the, in the secondary, Coach Blue Adams going into his third year now. Um, I, I think that is probably part of the reason that the, the secondary has taken such a step forward. Okay, so that reminds me then of a couple questions I have um, that have kind of popped up. So there was there were the, the three guys that committed all at the same time. They're all the same year. There's Alex Austin, JoJo Forrest, and Akili Arnold. We haven't seen much from JoJo Forrest. Is he just buried on the depth chart? That's kind of what it looks like to me, okay. to be honest. I was expecting him to, to bounce back and kind of pick up where he left off. Um, he, he was an opt-out last year during the COVID season. Um, and I, I think it may be fair to say at this point that maybe that set him back a little bit. I, I don't really know what his status is. Um, he just has not taken very many reps in the live sessions, if, if any at all, um, especially in the last week. Okay. But, but Alex, Alex Austin and and uh, Killy Arnold are both right there. Yes. Yeah. In fact, Austin, I think now with Elijah Jones on the shelf with that foot injury, um, he's expected to miss the season opener, by the way. I don't, I, I don't know if we mentioned that. Okay. Um, Alex Austin is probably the guy that steps into that other starting spot across from either Rajon Wright or Jaden Robinson, because that has now become a competition between those two, between Wright and Robinson. So I think Austin is very easily, a, you know, a, a top three corner on this team right now. And um, he has, he's made certain, he certainly made some leaps from, from last year to this point. Now, I, I know that he, he had a little bit of inconsistency last year was responsible for some, some big plays um, or for allowing some big plays, but um, he's, he's really locked up his game and he's made a ton of deflections and, and really gotten in the passing lanes this, this fall. So look for so, him so to, some just growing pains, forward. I think. Some growing pains that we saw from him young. It reminds me back of the days of Keenan Lewis and and uh, Brandon Hughes when they started as true freshmen. And oh gosh, I even my own mom would sit and talk about how horrible they were. And then they turn into all pack twelve corners by the end of the time. But yeah. so okay, this I I kind of go off on tangents here, Carter, because it's so fun to talk to you about. Um, and I, I really like the fact that the damn podcast is really just you and I talking, talking some ball, I guess is talking some football. So, um, back in the day, seriously, one of the best cornerback wide receiver matchups. And I love fall camp because you do, you get to hear them jot each other. And it was James Dockery and James Rogers. 
And those two would go at each other. It was legendary listening to the two of those. Do we have any any good matchups like that, the secondary and the wide receivers? You know, the problem with having such a deep room at receiver and at defensive back is that you don't see a lot of the same matchup. Okay. Um, there's there's just so much rotation at that position. And when I'm jotting down names in my notebook, I'm like, okay, well, I can't keep up anymore. <laughs> just writing number after number. Um, so, so nothing comes to mind. Okay. But, um, they certainly do have a lot of good of good banter between, you know, the the DBs and the, the wide receivers, especially I, I keep coming back to Rajon Wright when it comes to that, but he really is kind of the the trash talker on the team, if you and will. Most of we it, could it, it would not be it would not be appropriate to be talking about what they say, quoting them on the damn podcast. That's that's but, correct. But it, it is pure gold when you're out yes. listening to them on the practice. And, and if, if you're familiar with, with Rajon's um, appearance on Last Chance U at all, very similar to what you saw on, on Netflix. <laughs> very similar out there. Good, good. Well, you know, I, I have felt that the Beavs for a while have needed a little edge to them. We needed, they needed a little edge, a little of that Chad Johnson edge. So maybe we have it. Maybe we have it. So what do you think about doing some damn, damn questions? Yeah, let's do it. I noticed I'm, we're laughing. Angie's. Earbuds my earphones fell just her. fell out of my ear. Yeah, I kicked them. I do not have the wireless fancy schmancy ear pods, air pods, whatever they're called. Again, remember, I'm old, everyone. So let's do something. Carter's is laughing at me now. It's pure comedy around here. We're going to do a few uh, damn questions. And I have a, actually, Beaver Blitz, the lodge was, they were on it today, Carter. I posted this like, two and a half hours ago and just said short notice, but post your questions. And we've got a lot of them. Uh, one, I'm just gonna flat out just to tell you guys, we're gonna wait because um, we were asked, when are we going to do our predictions for the season? You have to wait till next week. Carter and I will give our huge gold predictions next week. It's, it's gonna be worth the wait. There's, it will. You know, the, the next week's podcast, I think is, is lining up to be a big one as, as fall camp comes to an end. We'll probably have a little more clarity on the depth chart. We're gonna do a ton of preseason predictions. So hold your horses on that a little bit. I know I, I, I'm seeing it in Lodge too. I think people are looking forward to some predictions, but we are gonna save that for next week. Yes, so next week we're gonna talk predictions. We're going to, yeah, too deep. I'm going to put Carter on this hot seat, maybe. Carter, uh, people do go back to it. Remember our old hot seat ones? We're kind of, yeah, the, the quick hitters. The quick hitters. Good. Yes, that was fun. So I think we'll do that. Carter might have to have like a, maybe I should have like an old town, old time uh, rap hit. Carter has to name that tune. Could be good. That could be know. entertaining. <laughs> You'll be like, what? Ice, ice, baby. Do I have to listen to that? I hear that at practice like every day. So. Seriously, it gets you fired up, Carter. Mm -hmm. Just 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 saying. Okay. So let's see here. Juba 02. Is the writing on the wall for Jebia, or was he really resting due to a minor injury? A little bit of a you know tinfoil hat here, you know, conspiracy theory, maybe. Um no, I, I, I think I think that's I think it's a legitimate injury. Um, I think if he was super, done, he'd just minor. not have been there. He would have just left. He would have been like, yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah, and at this point in camp, you know, he was fully suited up. He was he was good to go, um, other than just, you know, obviously the the soreness that we mentioned. But 
um, with, with the quarterback competition, where it is with it being so neck and neck, um, yeah, you can't he's, miss. He's going to be, yeah, he's, he's going to be trying to get as, as many reps as possible. And he is still firmly in it. Um, if anything, maybe has the slight upper hand, just again, based on experience in the system alone. So no, I, I don't think there's any reason for him to sit other than the, the soreness that coach Smith kind of pointed to. Um, he also want to know, this is a good question. I typically only get one question, but this is a good one. Any true freshman pegged to have an immediate impact this year? I mentioned Sione Lolohea earlier, and I think with the injuries on the D-line, his path to the two deep is probably, yeah, let's, let's, let's say that. It's probably the clearest of any true okay. freshman right now. Um, Easton Mascarenas is gonna, another one that comes to mind. Him. I know that we talked about him last week on the pod, and he's actually gotten even more reps since then. He's obviously not going to start because you have – Avery Roberts and Omar Spates at the position, and he's probably not even going to pass up Coletto at this point, but um, look for him to maybe get some run at, at some point. I, I don't know how meaningful the snaps are going to be, but I do think that he's probably going to see some playing time this year. Those are the two that, that really jump off the page to me at this point. I, yeah, I was going to throw out Mascarenas as well. We might, I mean, I don't think it's out of the question. I do think we see um, like a Valson. I think we see Jimmy Valson. I mean, they get those four games. They can play in still red shirt. So I think they throw him out. And another interesting one that I'll bring up too is Josiah Johnson, um, a defensive back, I believe true freshman. I don't think he was a transfer. I don't think he was a Juco guy. Was he? I don't think so. No, no. I think he's one of so those he, last minute ads. Yeah. He, he did take some reps with the second team at defensive back yesterday and Obviously, with that injury to Elijah Jones, there is an open spot on the depth chart. So something to keep an eye on. Okay, there you go. You heard it here first, guys. Okay, Hannah Pan says, is this 2021 team the best Oregon State team since 2013? That the is answer is yes. It's a bowl team. And I'm going to stick with my prediction that Oregon State will end the drought and make it to the postseason this year. So by default, the answer is yes. This is the best team in eight years. There, you got a prediction too, you guys. Look at that. He's like going out early. Actually, that was the first question before we even started the pod. That was when we were just talking off the air. I asked what the first question I asked Carter was, is this a bowl team? Well, you're getting a little sneak peek into next sneak week's episode. Peek. Um, JRU, you have a ton. Um, what do you think about signing more than 25 players a year? Uh, can't do that right now, so... It's kind of moot point. That's a, a rule. Angie, when are you going to be on the Joe Beaver show? I don't know. Tell Mike Parker and John Warren. Get Angie on. I don't know. No, I'll they've been on next time I see him at practice. Yeah, they they're awesome. <laughs> I get to go on with them. Um, as often I will I will make time no matter what I have going on to go on, go on with Mike and with John because very good, good questions. Um, and just always fun to talk beaver sports. So one of us, Carter or I, will be on with them, I promise, when they get back from their summer break. Um, Coach Morrow OSU, any thoughts on where Oregon State stands on the Pac-12 expansion or the rumored alliance between the Pac-12 Big Ten ACC? The impact that a potential expansion or, or alliance has on Oregon State is really, I think, too complicated to dive into fully. Right that now. might be a whole pod on its own. 
we, we could very easily have an hour long conversation on the ramifications of everything, but from a PAC-12 standpoint, as it stands right now, I, I don't think expansion is necessarily in the cards for this conference at the moment. I think there are just too many barriers to entry right now. Um, and with this rumored alliance in the works between the PAC-12, Big Ten, ACC, um, that lends me to believe that leads me to believe that we might just see those conferences kind of stay put and maybe the big, well, I guess the big 12 now has eight teams. It's hard to keep track of the numbers because they don't line up anymore, but the big 12 might look to poke, poach a couple of AAC teams, American athletic conference. Um, and maybe they rebound a little bit there, but kind of looks like everybody's for the most part, just kind of holding strong, uh, letting the sec do their thing and, I don't know. We'll see what happens to Oregon State in, in the mix. But if if all of the conferences stay put, nobody expands, Oregon State's going to be just fine. What in the blue hell OSU says recruiting front? It's been pretty quiet. Does it offers anything? Uh, right now, they're actually sort of offering some of those 2023 guys um, because 2022 is, is what we're working on right now. But they've started the younger guys. It has been pretty quiet. They've been really working hard on the prep for the season and uh we will have i am guessing probably there'll be visitors at every game but i'm guessing probably one or two really big visit weekends so definitely stay tuned for that but they're doing okay on recruiting i mean it's um they do have the big d tackle vincy wright out of duncanville so um you, you've heard me harp time year after year on recruiting d linemen so um, that one made me happy, but, um, there'll be definitely more right now. Carter and I are both in fall camps, fall camp mode completely. So, um, it's kind of taking, and I think that's where the coaches and the staff are, to be honest, um, except for the recruiting guys, they are, are working on, uh, recruiting as well, but we've seen some 2023 and, and some offers going up there. Uh, seeking 2013 says with so many returning players and veteran leadership, who do you see as the most vocal on offense and defense? Kind of, we've talk, talked a little bit about this. Yeah, we've mentioned it a little bit offensively. Um, Want to give a little shout out to the offensive line. I think Brandon Kipper is, you and I always talk about Kipper. One of our one favorite of the, interviews. Yeah, and, and just one of the true, just great people on this roster. Um, he's, he's an incredible leader. Um, lead by example, for sure, more so than the, the vocal side, but I see him get after a few players every now and then, and then make sure everybody's in line. So he's a guy that, that, that comes to mind, obviously the quarterbacks, you need great leadership from your quarterbacks. Tristan Jebbia has always been a great leader. Um, and I've, I've seen Neuer doing some, some coaching up with his receivers and running backs as well, just kind of taking guys off to the side a little bit and having conversations. So um, yeah, those are, those are the standouts on offense defensively, the linebackers in, in particular, I, I think, you're required to be vocal at that position. And we see a lot of that on the field. And then the defensive backfield, just being behind the entire defense, the safeties, you know, a Jaden Grant, um, uh, an Achille Arnold, being able to see the whole defense. Um, they're very vocal out there as well. And then Rajon Wright you know, mentioned, <laughs> mentioned multiple times, times today, how much, how well, and much I think like you said, the linebackers, I, I see Avery and Omar being more lead by example type guys, yep, 100%. but um, I don't, I don't know if there's a more, vocal guy on the team well I would say vocal but Andre Andre Hughes Murray is, is a very strong leader um, of the group but yeah I I wouldn't argue with any of those uh Steel Beaver wants to know um what 
what do you think of Thomas CEO's transition to the D line? How that's going so far? Smoother than I expected, to be completely honest. Um, he lost some weight in the off season, and we actually talked to him a couple of days ago after practice. I think his commitment to um, slimming down a little bit and working on his athleticism has really shown up in his transition to the, the defensive side, because let's be honest, like you are running around a little bit more when you're chasing after um, ball carriers and, and, and things like that, than you would be on the offensive side where you're just, um, I mean, not to discredit the offensive line at all, but I, I do think there's a little more movement on the D line. Um, but his, his ability to eat up space as, as a big body in the middle of the line is huge for this, this defense in a three, four defense, you need, a very large nose tackle in there at, at all times. And I've seen him make a couple of pretty strong plays on runners, holding them to little to no gain. And that's exactly what you want to see from a guy like him at the position that he plays. So if he's able to, you know, maintain his athleticism, stay on the field, um, unlike similar to, to what we saw from an Elu Aiden a couple of years ago, you know, if, if he's, if he can keep up the endurance a little bit, I think he is going to make a difference this year, which is obviously huge for the D-line with the personnel struggles it's had. So, so this is a question, and this comes from Twitter now. I've jumped over to the Twitter damn questions. And Aaron Magnuson, who I have to give a shout out to because he listened to the podcast, tweeted about it, and he listened to us, Carter, to, and we helped him through his run. I mean, we're seriously. motivational. What can I say? Who knew? Like I said, I need a little ice ice baby and some like old school <laughs> gangster rap to get me through a well, I, I say run. That's funny. That's actually my funniest joke of the day because I don't <laughs> run. But Aaron Magnuson, former offensive lineman at Oregon State, um, wants to know how the play in the trenches was in the second scrimmage. Strong. And and specifically on the offensive side, having those five starters in there uh, with everybody healthy. I mean, you know what you're going to get out of them at, at this point. You've got four all-conference players. Jake Levengood is the one who hasn't been named all-conference to this point in his career. And he actually stood out to, I believe it was Coach Lindgren, I want to say, was asked for a breakout player. And he actually mentioned Jake Levengood um, as opposed to any skill position player. So you've got five guys there who are capable of becoming some of the best linemen in the conference. And they've already proven it. So... Um, to see them lead the, the rushing attack, um, to see them, you know, strong, is strong in the pass blocking game. Um, they just continue to impress to me. And they are probably the main reason that I'm so high on Oregon State's offense this year. Um, but staying in the trenches with regard to the scrimmage, the defensive line, I think, gave up a couple of big runs that might have been a little concerning. Um, but at this point, you know, they're going up against, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the conference. So it's a little hard to gauge the, the performance of the D line, but if, if they can play to the level that they have, um, against, like I said, the, the best, potentially the best offensive line in the conference, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they do against some opponents that might not be as strong. Okay. There you go. Um, and then we had a lot of Twitter questions. Oh goodness, we had a lot of people wanting want to go question route. So that is what we're going to wait for next week. So I'm going to kind of put these aside. So Sean Leahy, Jason, um, William Scholten, we're going to keep your questions until next week, and then I'm going to just pepper them all to Carter, make him answer them, and I'll probably answer a few too. But I'll pick and choose. Elijah Klein though does want to know the status of Elijah Jones' um, potential to have him for the opener. You said no on that. 
Probably not. That's a foot okay. injury. He's wearing a boot on his, I believe, right foot. Is it broken uh, or do we know that? We don't know for okay. sure. Okay. I, I will say that we, we don't know what happened with Isaac Hodgins' foot exactly. We just know that he had surgery. Um, he's also wearing a boot. So, I mean, you know, I'm not saying Oops. that they're the same injury, but if you're wearing a boot. Feet are so hard serious. because they just, they don't get the blood flow. And they, we've mm -hmm. seen foot injuries take longer than expected. So David Morris, um, Trevon Bradford, yeah. Andre Isaac, Murray. Isaac Sayamalo years ago. Um, and I don't know. Okay. This is my random show of the week that I started watching. And some of, some of you guys might know that back in the day when I was younger, I used to love surfing. It's like totally my passion. I love the ocean. I love Kelly Slater. So I, I've loved Kelly Slater since I was 12. And that was a long time. But I started watching on HBO Max, 100 Foot Wave. And if you have not started, it's a documentary on uh, Nazare, Portugal. And um, Garrett McNamara, a big time, big wave rider out of Hawaii. And how he basically rode, uh, well, they, they called it the 100 foot wave and it was maybe closer to 75 to 90 foot, but still huge. Anyway, he broke his foot. He had to have like all these things in his, in his uh, pins and screws in his foot. Gnarly. Anyway, total random, but watch it. It's good. I was like, where's, where's the connection here? Yeah, and then broken it foot. at the end with he a broken foot. Broke his foot. Sorry. Sorry. I go off on tangents. This is, this is why I do what I do. Carter this is an Oregon me. State football and surfing podcast. And Kelly Slater podcast. Okay. This has been fun, Carter. I think we've had a lot of fun. Um, again, if you guys are not on Beaver Blitz, make sure you check it out because Carter daily posts the most in-depth practice reports that you're going to find anywhere in the lodge. Um, and then he does feature stories on, on guys throughout the week as well. So make sure to check it out. We also have a great community. Um, and I can say, I can't give numbers, but I can say that Beaver Blitz at 24-7, during our time at 24-7, we just broke a record for members. So um, welcome to all the new members who are trusting us for their Beaver coverage and joining us. Appreciate you. And uh, Carter will be in Corvallis this week covering the football team. And we will be back next week for another episode of the Dam Podcast.